welcome to Inside Monster Jam, the official Monster Jam podcast. I'm Scott Jordan, and for today's episode, we are going to go to Apopka, Florida, to the Moose Sour Mansion, and welcome in one of the nicest guys in the sport, the leader of Zombie Nation. It is my pleasure to welcome into Inside Monster Jam, Bari Moose Sour. Bari, thanks for joining me today, buddy. How you doing? Absolutely, man. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Can't wait to, to talk about all we're going to talk about today. <laughs> well, uh... Let's uh, let's start off with with Halloween. I want to intro. I want to do another intro for you because uh, you know him best as Joe the Policeman from the What's Going Down episode of That's My Mama. Put your hands together and welcome Jackson Heights own Mr. Randy Watson. Uh, Boy, man, where, where did the idea come from to do Randy Watson uh, sexual chocolate for Halloween? <laughs> well, you know, uh, coming to America, that's like my favorite movie of all time. So I was um, Prince Akeem last year, and that went over pretty well. So I said, man, I don't know how I'm even going to top this. Uh, I ended up winning a Halloween costume contest. I wasn't even at home. We were at Thunder Alley and uh, just so happened to pop into a pub and they were having a, a, a Halloween costume contest. And man, the place just erupted when I walked in there. All I needed was like the flower girls in front of me spreading the rose <laughs> petals and, and the place probably would have just shut down. <laughs> did, so. did, did you have did you have the solid gold toothbrushes under your jacket? <laughs> I did not. I did not. But, <laughs> you know, that's giving me an idea for, for next year. You know, I always got to start thinking of it immediately. So uh, I wanted to be Randy Watson last year, but uh, they did not have the costume in stock. And I just waited, I guess, too long to get it. So I was on a mission this year to make sure I had it well before Halloween. And uh, actually gave a call to Randy Brown. Um, I w- he was going to be Reverend Brown. <laughs> so that was just going to be a cool little little uh, clip. But uh, no, it just worked out great to, to have that time at home and uh, have that costume. And it just came to me with the, doing the videos. Uh, just the thing, you know, children are, are the future. And when they came trick-or-treating, that was just all kind of off the cuff it was but it worked out great well listen next time you're in new york um you you can check in at mcdowell's you know (laughs) it's a fictional place but every time i'm in new york i check in online at mcdowell's and it's amazing how many people actually think it's a real place so you're throwing it out there let's uh let's start at the beginning for you growing (laughs) up in cleveland ohio what did you want to do for a living when you grew up you know as an early age i mean i guess gosh i was six years old and i i I was always into cars and trucks, uh, the toys, the, 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 the die cast, the model making, uh, all of that just interested me from an early age. Uh, so my mom just decided to take me to a monster truck show back in 86. And uh, I just fell in love at that moment. I was like, my gosh, I got to do this. I got to drive these trucks. So, you know, we were... Um, I, I grew up in the city, so it wasn't like we had access to any farm equipment or any four-wheelers or anything like that. Uh, we didn't have access to land where you could just go uh, go crazy, you know, in, in a car that wasn't registered on to go on the road or anything like that. So it's just one of those things where it caught my attention when she brought me to the event. And uh, from that point on, I followed the sport up until t- today. What, what brought you to Orlando? Uh, so in Cleveland, I just, I got tired of winter. Uh, that was the main thing. And I got my associate's degree for CAD, computer-aided design, in Cleveland. Uh, and then the next step was to get my bachelor's degree because my mom said, well, you can't stop there. You got to get a bachelor's degree. We want you to just keep going. Uh, so I said, all right, well, the only programs that were offered uh, to me that uh, were what I wanted to continue doing, which was com- computer visualization technology. So it was like computer graphics that interested me. Um, it was either I could go to Indiana, California, or Florida. And Florida was like the top choice in my book because it wasn't so far away from home. Um, and Indiana was like, oh, it's the same weather as Cleveland. In California, 19 years old, that was just too far from home. So, chose Florida, and it was ended up being a good choice. So, I know you said you know from an early age you were interested in cars and trucks, but when did the RC trucks start coming into play? As far as you know, something that piqued your interest? Uh, maybe by the age of like 
nine or ten, we would have the the ones that you could get from the toy stores, you know, the Tyco RC cars. And these were the ones that, yeah, they were fun, but you couldn't modify them or anything like that. So if you broke it, that was it. You know, there was no getting spare parts for it. It was just, you know, done for. So I got introduced to hobby grade radio control probably around age 11. And that really interested me because I've always kind of been a hands-on person where I like to tinker with stuff. I can remember, you know, asking my stepfather for his screwdriver to fix one of the Tyco cars. And he's like, no, I already know what you're going to do with it if you... So, so no, you're not getting it. And uh, so eventually, one Christmas, I got a, a hobby-grade RC car, and that kind of started my path down that hobby. Did you know uh, at the time that, that eventually that was going to set you up into something bigger and, and, and greater? I mean, I know as a kid, you know, we, we, we see these things and I didn't have a whole lot of RC cars when I was a kid, but I had a Batmobile, you know, and obviously I didn't think the Batmobile would end up with me being Batman, but you end up, you know, with an RC truck and end up becoming a Monster Jam truck driver. Did you know at all at that point that this is, you know, going to lead you down that pathway? No, not at that moment. I didn't know. Uh, I was just having fun with the hobby and I, I wanted to kind of make replica RC trucks that look like real monster trucks. And, you know, I was still a kid at that point. So it was just really something that interested me to be able to be hands-on and to modify these trucks and to, and to fix them so that they were faster and more powerful and more durable. So yeah, just take us back to what you what you were doing down in Florida, uh, down in Orlando before you you know started with Monster Jam. You know, just take us back to a day in the life of Bari while you're you're here continuing your education. Right on. So I went to school. Actually, I lived in Tampa from 2000 to 2004, and that's where I was getting my bachelor's degree. And I got, uh, I finally, I was working at Best Buy, actually. I transferred from Best Buy in Cleveland to Best Buy in Tampa. So I still had a job. And so I was working, I was going to school, I was on my own, had my own apartment. And then um, I figured, you know, I, work, I really needed to start reaching out to uh, professions that really followed what I was going to school for. So I uh, got into the sign industry because I was really hands-on. I, I, I like designing stuff on the computer, but I wanted to see it come to life. So the sign industry was a, uh, an outlet where I could see kind of my creations come to life. So I got, I went and did, did a job interview at this place called Signs USA. It's still there actually in Tampa. And uh, I don't know if it's the same people that own it or not, but the uh, they gave me the interview and I got the job, and later I came back. to. They told me, well, they said, you, you got the job once you showed us an RC truck that you replicated. So it was kind of like putting graphics on an RC truck body that got me the job. So it was pretty cool. Apparently, I didn't have the job until I came back in after the interview and showed them you know, what my, my skill set was. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so, so then, you- go ahead. I'm sorry. Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going, buddy. Uh, so then after that, I worked there for a while, and then I actually got a, another opportunity in Orlando in 2004. That's when I moved to Orlando, doing the same type of sign company work, designing vehicle wraps, um, designing signs, and, and actually outputting them on like a printer, a grand format printer, or a, a vinyl plotter. So it, it was like seeing your creations come to life in the real world. That's what I was most most looking forward to doing. So at what point do you start really com- competing in the RC truck world? Um, I would say probably, we probably had to go back to Cleveland for that because my, my parents, they took me, they started taking me to these RC monster truck events. Uh, it was at Montpelier, Ohio. The NRCTPA was the sanctioning body and they replicated these RC monster truck events and they also did pulling events. So they are probably the longest running sanctioning body that is still going to this day when it comes to running these replica RC trucks. And uh, it was such a cool setup that they had. It was called the Holodome and it was two atriums inside this hotel and you didn't even have to go anywhere. You just stayed in your hotel and you come out to the atrium and there was the track for the RC trucks. 
So you have, uh, you know, one of the most intriguing stories about your discovery into Monster Jam. I know, I know you've told it, you know, so many times, but I, I want to go back to that day at Digger's Dungeon, you know, that you get discovered there as a driver. I believe it was Keith Speller that was there on hand um, and and discovered you as, as sort of the hand-eye coordination with what you're doing with the RC trucks that thought maybe that could translate into Monster Jam. Can you take us back to that day, what you were doing at Digger's Dungeon and how that whole conversation came about uh, to even be considered for Monster Jam? Sure, sure. So uh, I actually met a guy named Fred Reap through Scott Hartsock with the Slinger team and um, Back then, Fred was into RC replica trucks just as much as I was, and so he wanted to hold his own events. And I was like, all right, cool, well, we can do that. So I'll be on board with doing helping out with that. So he had his own RC Monster Motorsports company that he ran these events through, and so he decided, man, it'd be kind of cool to have an event at Digger's Dungeon. So I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm game for that. This was after we'd done several events locally here in Florida. Uh, and so we go up there in probably 2006 it was. And Bill Easterly was actually the Monster Jam official that Bill was there Easterly, that was yeah, it, right. on site. And he was just there on business. It wasn't like he knew anything about our event. He just kind of seen what we were doing. So he came over and just checked the event out and... Eventually, he just came over to me and said, man, you're pretty good at that. Uh, do you have any kind of motorsports background? I said, no, just radio-controlled trucks. And at the time, to get even in to being considered to, to driving a Monster Jam truck, you, you had to have some kind of motorsports background to be considered. So um, that was one of those kind of breakthroughs in my lifetime because uh, – Bill, Bill had a test session already scheduled for the, the following week up there. And he said, can you get back here next week? And I want to put you in a truck. And my, my jaw just hit the ground. You know, it was like here at this moment, I'm living out childhood dream driving one of these trucks. So I came back home after the event. I ended up doing pretty good with the RC uh, race at Digger's Dungeon. And I didn't even ask for the time off from my job. I said, hey, I'm going back up there next week. Sorry, guys. And it was just kind of like they were, okay, you know. they knew. And this, this was, was at the signs, the signs part, the signs place? This was at, yeah, the Media One is, uh, what, is who I worked for back then. And I'm still really good friends with those guys even to this day. And, um, you know, they were, they were supportive. I would say, you know, for them to let me just go back with basically a week's notice and just say, hey, I didn't even ask. They just said, well, I guess we got to let them do it, you know. So um, they let me go back, and I still had a job after I came back from that that test session. And um, But at the test session, it was weird because I was literally, like, doing what I set out to do. But this was back before the uh, – the, the fitted seats were even in Monster Jam, where each driver got their fitted their own fitted seat. This was back when the beard seats were what was in these trucks, and I kind of had to reevaluate my plan for my life with driving trucks after being in one of those trucks with a beard seat because it was like a suspension seat, so it kind of lets you move around, and that's actually when you get the most sores when you're able to move around, you're getting thrown around in these trucks. So I would say, you know, I was literally like, okay, am I, do I really, am I really cut out for this? Because I was sore for probably two weeks after that audition. So how long from your uh, initial test in the truck until you finally got a seat in a truck? So from that moment, 2006 to 2010. Uh, so I did another test session in 2008, did really well. But they just didn't have a truck for me yet. So I get a call from Henry Cross out of the blue um, in 2010. He said, hey, you, you still want to do this? I said, yeah. He said, well, we got a show for you. Uh, there's an event in Panama, city Panama, the country. And mind you, I'm, a, I'm never been out of the country. They told me to get my passport. You're going to Panama to drive backwards Bob. And, and I'm excited because we're going to talk about backwards Bob here. So Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I do that event, and, of course, I'm so nervous. I, I couldn't eat before the event. That's how nervous I was. And to boot, 
They mishandled my luggage. So there's a bunch of firsts. First time I'm going out of the country, they lose my luggage. First time driving a Monster Jam truck in competition. So I'm just a nervous wreck. Um, so it just was it was a good experience, and I'll never forget that moment to where uh, hopefully I can spread that kind of story to the new and up-and-coming people that are joining Monster Jam every year. It's fascinating. There's so many people now uh, in the RC truck world that, that I've met, you know, year after year at World Finals that, you know, look at you as, as just an idol and, and want to, you know, get through there. And, and from from someone who has, you know, tried to learn the RC truck world and, and you know, navigate that, it's, it's incredible that your journey led you from that point to where you're at now. And uh, let's, let's go to Panama and let's talk about Backwards Bob because that's a yeah. truck, you know, that, that doesn't get talked about too much anymore. And it should be. It's, it's found new life, I think, with, you know, coming out as a, as a diecast truck and also in the video game world. But what are your memories of Backwards Bob? Uh, I can remember being there, getting fitted in the truck, making sure that all the seat belts were good and thinking to myself, man, I can't see very well out of this truck. You could see straight ahead great because it didn't have a tailgate. Uh, the body was mounted backwards on the chassis, so I'm still driving forward, but it just looks to everybody else like I'm driving backwards. So at that moment, uh, I can remember going out for my first racing pass, and this was before practice days in Monster Jam. It was like you get thrown to the wolves right there, show day, there's no practice. So I went out there, and I go, this was Chicago-style racing, and I go to hit the first turn, and I plow right through the turning car because I couldn't see it. Uh, so thankfully, those cars that they used down in Panama, they were just shells of cars. They weren't real uh, full cars. They just were like the, the unibody structure. There were no doors, no hoods. It was just like the chassis of the car. So it just polarized the car. And uh, I can remember even before the event, I was supposed to be a surprise. And so they had me sit inside this man-made kind of hut that they built around the truck. And I had to sit in there, and I swear I was baking for what it seemed like hours before the event. Um, but it, it, that was like one of those initiation things, like, welcome to Monster Jam, rookie. You're going to sit in here and bake for a little while. <laughs> there you go. Welcome to the sport. Right. Um, so you do the Panama events, and then you move into El Toro Loco. You win Rookie of the Year. Uh, talk about some, some highlights from your rookie season in Monster Jam. Oh, man. So my rookie year, I was teamed up with Rod Schmidt, who was driving Gravedigger at the time. And uh, it was just a good camaraderie between the two of us. We, we hit it off right away, and uh, he showed me the ropes of you know just what Monster Jam was and I, of course, I was a rookie. I had something to prove out there on the track, and uh, they really, they really made sure that I had all the knowledge that I needed at that time to really just do a good job. And they weren't afraid to tell me what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. And um, it was a really good time uh, to go out there and live my dream, so to speak. I mean, I, I had a point to prove. I think I can remember back uh there was an event in denver colorado and my gravedigger's motor blew up and they were like well we're probably gonna have to take the engine out of your truck to put in gravedigger so gravedigger can run and i was like okay well i mean i've always been kind of one of those guys to roll with the punches of course i wanted to race but at the same time i figured you know i want to be here for a longevity so if this is what it takes to uh propel the team forward to make sure monster jam is uh, always a, a success and people keep coming back year after year then this is just I'll take one for the team you know and then that's just what it was and it ended up being one of those things I think that the the higher ups saw later on in the season considered me for rookie of the year it was just not just on the track um, performance but actually you know how you carry yourself off the track as well or in situations that are tough like that and it's surprising the amount of drivers that don't understand that when they come into the sport that that you know you have to you have to earn your stripes so to speak you have to play the game you have to you know uh, 
sacrifice some things early on to to have that longevity. You've proven that. It's amazing to me that nothing seems to ever fluster you. And you always, you're like the only guy I know that literally can put a positive spin on anything. Like if there's something <laughs> going on in my life that that's, that's bringing me down, I come to you and you find a way yeah. to like just put it, a positive spin on it. I don't, I don't know how you do that. You're like a wizard, but you, you seem to rub off on everybody that's around you. Yeah, I guess I just like a glass half, a glass half full type of guy. I never try to really dwell on the negative part of things. I try to find the silver lining in every aspect. I mean, of course, there's some things that are going to be tough to do that in, but for the most part, you can try and you know maybe take a, a trial or tribulation as a learning moment and and move on from it because you can't dwell on it too long. You'll just uh, you're not going to make progress af- after that. So it's just definitely one of those things where I try to live my life by not really dwelling on the past or uh, holding grudges or anything like that. I just try to keep moving and pressing forward. Uh, in 2012, you move on to Spider-Man. <clears throat> you win the first ever showdown. I know that that truck you know, still has a special place in your heart. We just announced that Marvel Trucks will be returning in 2023. What are your thoughts on that? I'm excited about the Marvel trucks coming back. That was some of the best times that I had early on in my career. So after I won Rookie of the Year in El Toro Loco in 2011, they switched me to Spider-Man. And I just was like, oh, man, this is sweet. You know, Spider-Man's really popular with the kids and even the, the, the adults. So I just kind of took that under my wing. And Spider-Man was very, very uh, a lot of fun to drive because it was one of those character trucks where people could relate and it was easy for them to identify with. Uh, so that kind of made that transition into my sophomore sophomore year even easier. Um, I felt like I had earned my place after winning Rookie of the Year the year prior and it was kind of like, uh, okay, you've proven yourself. Here, here's this uh, truck that's sponsored by Marvel. No pressure, you know, go out there and have some fun. And then 2013 Zombie Nation is born with Sean Duhon driving, but in 2015, a second zombie truck gets added and a, a young upstart named Barry Musauer gets the nod to join Zombie Nation. So what were your thoughts when you got the call that you were going behind the wheel of Zombie? You know, to be perfectly honest, I was like, Zombie? This isn't like a great fit for me. And Honestly, that first year, I mean, of course, I'm still living out a dream driving a Monster Jam truck, but I just was like, man, there's not a better truck that I could be driving. Because I used to tease Sean Duhon back when he was the only zombie driver. I'm like, oh, man, look at you. You're you're scaring people. And now here I am. I got payback. You know, I have to drive it now. And so for the first season, it took me some time. I even called uh, the, the powers that be and said, man, I don't know about this, guys. I don't know if this is a good fit. And they said, well, you can either take it or leave it. So I took it and ran with it, and, and I, I'm glad I did. You know, they were right. That was one of those moments where I couldn't dwell on it. This is I still have the opportunity of a lifetime. So I kind of had to develop my own little niche with the truck and um, the zombie arm craze just kind of stuck with it and and it's crazy because it's so simple uh and it stuck so the fans little did i know to this day it's one of the most interactive monster jam trucks to ever be created to when you can actually get the fans to interact with you while you're driving before you even do anything on the track it's just like that surreal moment where you're like, man, I got these people in the palm of my hand. Let's go have some fun, you know. So it's come full circle for me. Uh, and now I love zombie. And I, I don't even know if I see myself driving another Monster Jam truck. Well, it started, it, it, the fans had a say in that truck's name and, and concept. So they were already an engagement involved with the fans when the truck debuted. I think you've taken it to a next level. Um, you've got one of the coolest, you know, track entry songs yeah. ever made with Michael Jackson's Thriller. Right. Uh, what do you think is a, is a better song to come out to the track to Bad to the Bone or Thriller? Oh, man, that's a good one. I mean, I grew up watching Grave Digger, and when that song came on, it was like people knew what was coming next and you could just hear the fans reeling for waiting to see this iconic truck with red headlights. So, I mean, 
Yeah, Thriller is cool, but Bad to the Bone and Grave Digger, I don't know if you're ever going to top that. I mean, we do a pretty we do pretty good job as far as coming really close, but I think that that uh, the Grave Digger and Bad to the Bone is just uh, it, it gives people chills even still to this day when that song comes on and you're at Monster Jam, you know what's coming next. No, that's a, that's a tough call, man. Uh, two incredible songs. Michael Jackson, of course, you know, I grew up on, on Michael Jackson, um, and, and I'm going to get roasted for this, but, you know, Michael Jackson is, is I'm proud to say, the second greatest pop singer to ever live next to Justin Timberlake. I'm proud to say that, <laughs> and everybody can roast me for that, <laughs> you know, right. but it's fine. Uh, if I came out of the track in the truck, it should be the sexy back. End of story. Um, <laughs> let's talk about... You know, world finals for you. Uh, you. You've competed in every world final since the showdown in 2012. I do want to talk about one specific world finals. I'm sure you're tired of talking about this, but it's my job to talk about it. 2019, the final race. You and Zombie, Jimmy Creighton and Bounty Hunter. You cross the finish line first. Your red light. He wins the championship. Is that something that still sticks with you in, in any way, shape, or form that you were that close to a world championship? Uh, yes and no. I mean, like I said earlier, you can't really dwell on the past and things like that. So you have to move on. Otherwise, it will haunt you. And you don't want to have that negative um, thought in the back of your mind. So you have to move on from it. And I will say, you know, at the, at the time, of course, man, my, my social media blew up. They're like, man, you won that race. You didn't red light. And it's true. I mean... There's certain calls in professional sports that are just wrong. Let's just be honest. I mean, in any form of professional sports, sometimes the refs get it wrong, and you just have to live with it. So, I mean, I'm, I, 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 I uh, swallowed my pride, and there was really nothing you can do after the call's been made, and here we are. You know, we pressed forward, and we've been able to compete in Monster Jam World Finals uh, since then, and hopefully many more to come and, and hopefully one day I'll get to that point again and uh, you know that the, the, it'll actually fall in my favor that you never know so I I, I Again, do, doing my job here, I like to bring some exclusive news to, to our fans and our listeners. Are you saying that that night in Orlando, the officials got it wrong and you did not red light? Yeah, I can go on record to say that they got All it right. wrong, but it's it's fine. You know, I've I've made I, I've made peace with it. Uh, if you go and look back at the replay, what happened was the truck. I staged the truck, and the truck rocked back. There's a lot of uh, called lash in these trucks with all the driveline components, and the truck actually rocked back after I stopped, and it rolled out of the staging beam. So at that moment, when the starter tripped the uh, Christmas tree lights to start, it automatically kind of fouled me out because I wasn't in the staging beam. So at that point, I feel like, well, you should either rerun the race or, um, well, I mean, that's really the only thing you can do because the red light came on as soon as the amber lights, uh, right. or as soon as the amber lights went down, the, the six amber lights on the tree, the red light came on as soon as that happened. So... Of course, to all the fans that don't know the ins and outs of how the staging beams work in a pro tree, they're going to say, oh, well, Barry red lit. You know, it's, it's, he red lit. That's the end of the race. Jimmy Creighton's the winner. And that's just not how it went down. So it's just one of those things where you can't take it back. So I'm not really going to dwell on it. And, uh, yeah, it stung for a few months after that. But you know what? We're still here competing on a high level. Still love my fans. And, uh I just look forward to each and every Monster Jam season moving forward. Did, did you know? Uh, but I'm going I'm to put this to bed once and for all. But did you know that you that you were getting called for a red light when you crossed the finish line, or was that something that happened afterwards? I didn't know because I honestly knew that I did not red light. And hindsight is, I probably should have never left the starting line. I should have just sat there and waited to see and put that call in the officials ball court. I mean, they, they could have still said, well, you, you red lit, you never left the starting line. Jimmy Creighton's a winner still. So uh, I would say there's so many things that you can think about in your mind, but in that moment of, you know, you're in the zone, 
your instinct as a racer, as a competitor, is to just go race. And so that's what I did. And I, I can remember, and, and really Jimmy Creighton gave me that race. He gave it away because I think his brakes were getting to the point where they were too hot to really be good enough to, to stop the truck where he needed to stop it. And he went really wide in the last turn. And I can remember being in the last turn and, and uh, I'm navigating through the turn and I'm thinking, where is he going? You know, and I'm like, man, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm sure crossing this finish line first. So it's all good though, man. We're, we're, like I said, we, we have to keep moving forward and, uh, who knows the future is bright and hopefully we get back to that point. You win seven freestyle competitions in stadiums this year, which leads the entire sport. Uh, you've gone on record as saying you've, you've had a little bit of a different strategy this year that, it, that maybe has attributed that. Talk a little bit about that. And then uh, the moment I want to pinpoint here that I think really you know, showed everybody that you had arrived on the scene was back at Petco in San Diego when you jumped over Gravedigger. <laughs> you got out, you raised the roof a little bit. Yeah. And I thought at that moment, man, Bari is just, he's here to stay. So talk a little bit about your freestyles this year. Uh, yeah, I just took a different approach. I, I do better, I know, when I have a plan. If I'm out there just actually winging it, then it doesn't go as well for me as far as freestyle is concerned. So I actually dissect the track before I even set set the, you know, get in the truck. I actually walk the track a lot. I even walk the track at, at halftime just to see what the dirt crew is doing uh, with modifying the, the racing ramps by pushing those up. I like to see the angles that they, they uh, push the race ramps up at. So really it's just about eliminating the jumps that I don't even want to touch because for one I want to make it to that point where you've got the 30 seconds left and you want to go for the backflip and then after that I feel like once you get the backflip landed then you can kind of kind of hang loose a little bit um, and that's kind of how I've approached freestyle this year and it seems to have worked for me one of the other things that worked really well is the officials if you win freestyle the next event, you get to choose where you go in freestyle. And early on in the season, I didn't even know that was a thing. It was just something I found out. And I said, okay, well, and, and you can kind of dictate your fate if you kind of get good at that, where if you look in at the lineup and seeing, okay, this is a heavy hitter, this is a heavy hitter, you want to be the first one to tackle that backflip because that's the first opportunity for the fans to see um, the backflip and usually you get a pretty good score you have to have some crazy wow moment after that to really grasp the fans back so it'll be interesting to see in 2023 if that's still one of those um, things that the Monster Jam officials uh, dictate is where if you run freestyle you get to choose where you get to go on freestyle during the next event Maybe I've given away and too much. And what went into you jumping <laughs> Gravedigger? How long did you see Tyler on the track before you realized that was something he needed to do? Uh, so he went right before me. And he had one of those epic, you know, crazy Gravedigger freestyles. And I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to top this? I was the last truck to go. So this is before I actually knew that you could choose where you wanted to go. Because I had one freestyle the evening before. We had two events in, at Petco Park in San Diego. And so... I figure, well, I won freestyle, I'm gonna have to go last. So I went last, and the run started out okay, but I was kind of like not in the rhythm that I wanted to be. The truck took some funny bounces. I knew that this something that was doable because if you can see on the video, if you look back, I kind of do a parade lap um, before I go out there and really attack the track, and. I kind of drove around, kind of snaked my way around Gravedigger and kind of gauged the distance from the ramp to the truck. And I'm like, yep, I'm doing it. So I did it before I really wanted to do it. Uh, I, I was really trying to get into rhythm. And finally, I just said, you know what? The truck is in the path of my normal freestyle run. So I kind of had to adapt on the fly right then and there, you know, moments before I was going out. So I did it earlier than I wanted to. And the truck broke, um, but it still earned me the win. And sometimes as drivers, we kind of are our worst critics, you know. And 
in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, man, I only did four jumps in freestyle. I, yeah, I jumped over Gravedigger, but we're kind of numb to this to a point. I mean, we, we drive the trucks. We see it every week. But for those fans in San Diego to witness that in a competition, you have to realize that's something they've never seen before. And, and maybe they've seen it in years past if you're an old school fan and you've seen Monster Jam trucks jump over other trucks, but it wasn't in competition. So it was one of those things where it's like, man, the fans really rewarded me for that, and I'm thankful for it. Even though I really wasn't done with my run, I didn't get a backflip in, still earned me the freestyle win, so I'll definitely take it. You have to take those moments because there's there's other moments in Monster Jam where it's like, man, I really feel like I let the fans down, you know? So I'll take it. No, that was one of the loudest pops I've heard in a long time when you, <laughs> when you did that, man. The fans were going nuts. Um, so 2023, you get Ryan and Tyler again on Stadium Championship Series Blue. Uh, is, is this the season that you win the series championship? Whew, man, I'm going to sure try my best. I really got to step up my two-wheel skills game. I feel like that's that's the part where I'm lacking. And I, I kind of it's a double-edged sword for me on two-wheel skills because – yeah, I can do the nose wheelies, but I'm not as good at it, let's say, like a Camden or a Tyler. I mean, Tyler could do nose wheelies in his sleep, let's just be honest. And, you know, Ryan with his Cyclones, that's, that's a high-risk maneuver because uh, you are really driving the truck on the ragged edge at that point. So it really just depends if I can rack up some good finishes and two-wheel skills, I think I got a good shot because you have to be consistent throughout all the competitions. And I struggle with that because I always want to give the fans something different to watch. So if 10 trucks, 10 of the 12 trucks go out there and do nose wheelies, I'm not going to do a nose wheelie because I feel like I want to give the fans something different to remember. I want to give them something that may not be considered such a high-skill maneuver, but it's still maybe they want to see a donut. You know, and I know that, and I figure, well, if nobody does a donut, I'm going to do one and probably still get a pretty decent score. It may not be a winning score, but it, it'll keep me in the conversation for the event, overall event win, because they're usually going to sc- score you pretty high if there's something they've never seen before during that competition. Well, listen, one thing we, we've, we've started doing on the broadcast is every time you come out with your slap wheelies, we, we, we say you start taking everybody to slap wheelie city. Uh, and there's some marketing in there. You know, if you're a wrestling yeah. fan, Brock Lesnar, every time he comes to a town, it, they rename the town suplex city. So maybe every time you come to a, a town, we should have t-shirts with your face on at zombie nation that says San Diego is super is a uh, slap wheelie city. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. You know, That's just, one of my favorite ideas, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I feel like that's another one where the fans might not get to see a slap wheelie, but you can guarantee you're going to get at least one out of me during the course of the night. It's just one of those moves that I enjoy, and it's an old-school move, but it still gets the people going. And uh, I appreciate noticing that that's one of my, uh, my go-tos, Scott. No, it's a te- it's it's textbook, man. You 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 do it perfectly. Um, another thing that you have become this year is a roller coaster tycoon, my friend. You <laughs> rode roller. Co- I drug you to Knott's Berry Farm at six o'clock in the morning. You rode accelerated with me for our G Force feature. Then you ride uh, over at Valley Fair, uh, wild thing with Kristen Anderson. So who is a better roller coaster partner, me or Kristen? I will not be offended oh, at man. all if you say Kristen here because I know we we you know we we rode it like seven times in a row. Yeah, you know there's different reasons for I mean granted Kristen is funny and just being herself she's just naturally funny I mean if you have that name and Anderson in Monster Jam you're just you come from a comedic background let's just get that out out there right now so she she had me cracking up because she was like oh my gosh I have my fake eyelashes on and I they were flapping in the wind going down the hill and I just oh, I lost it you know so that was definitely one of my favorite moments of course you on the other hand with riding the accelerator uh, a few more times than I did and thinking that you're if if you rode it you were gonna drive zombie that was that was pretty comical in itself. I'm still holding out, and listen, I, you know, I'm, 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 
we had fun that day. I had to be I had to be all business though. We were we yeah, were filming. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was fun, man. We rode that thing so crazy. And I'm 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 again now I'm trying to put you and I in positions where we can top the G Force feature. And I mentioned to you maybe jumping out of an airplane might be next, but we'll see. That's to be determined. Yeah. And then one day, maybe one day I just want to drive zombie for like just a victory lap, man. That's all. You you come out, you do your slap wheelies, you jump grave digger, you get out of the truck, and then you just hand me your helmet and I'll just slide in and take okay. it back to the stall for you. That's that's all I'm asking, man. All right. Well, we'll see if we can make that happen at some point. I'm not saying no. I'm not saying yes. Maybe at this point. Just I appreciate it. I'll take a maybe. <laughs> um, you, you provided RC trucks to most of the drivers on your tour and around the sport. Is is that something that's meant to bring more awareness to the RC truck world? Absolutely. You know, they, uh, my friends at Horizon Hobby, they um, own a property called Losi that I grew up with. And... Um, just one of those hobby grade RC companies that they finally came out with a, a replica Monster Jam truck. So these trucks start as Grave Digger or Son of a Digger, and then it's up to us, the hobbyists, to modify them or make them look like other Monster Jam trucks. So I wanted to just get my peers involved, and we just had a blast. I mean, this year we, we made videos. We the, Our thing was, okay, after practice, we're going to go for at least a one battery pack little session with the RC trucks, and it took off. I mean... Ryan and Tyler and myself, Camden this year, uh, Kayla. We just had a good time running the trucks. Charlie Pawkin is a wild man with an RC truck. So um, we just had a lot of fun. That was just another activity to kind of, you know, bring us together. And uh, a lot of people ended up with those trucks. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that Losi was uh, generous enough to, to see my vision and let me modify their trucks and give them to my peers and so now a lot of us have them and hopefully coming for for next monster jam world finals we'll do that again as far as we have the all driver event on the rc monster jam world finals track i think that was a huge hit for the pit party um at world finals this year and um I don't know how we're going to fit it in because there's a lot of stuff going on during the pit party at Monster yeah. Jam World Finals this year coming up in Nashville. So if we can definitely try to fit it in, we're definitely going to. Well, that was a lot of fun. And, and you gave me a truck. You coached me up you know, in Syracuse. I feel like I let you down. But at, you know, at the same time, I knew I, I had no chance against Colt Stevens. I was you know, not as prepared as I, I should have been. Next year, however, in Nashville, Barry, I will be very prepared for an actual rematch with Colt where I do go on the track. Now, you were kind enough to you know, give me a, a Monster Jam 30th anniversary truck. You came and, and changed the body. It's now Son of a Digger, which yeah. I love, my kids love. Good. And every time we take it out at the park, everybody just sits there and watches us run this thing. I am still determined in my rematch with Colt Stevens to run a Sparkle Smash body. And I know you said that's very difficult, but we've got a year, my friend. I feel you know? like Sparkle Smash is the way to go here. And I think that if we put Sparkle Smash up against King Crunch, that there's no contest there. Yeah, I think the entertainment value of you running Sparkle Smash is it's worth the price of admission by itself. You know, So definitely, we'll work on that. There's actually, you're not the only one that has hinted to me about having a, smart, uh, a Sparkle Smash replica RC body for the LOC LMT. So we might have to put that in motion. Um, well, we got a, a really talented guy, uh, Charlie Pawkin uh, Jr., or actually Charlie Pawkin III. He's actually a genius when it comes to making these replica trucks. So I might have to talk to him. Shout out to Charlie Pawkin III, little Chucky. All right, well, I want I want to be at the front of the line for the Sparkle Smash. I have a few more questions for you here. Uh, you know, you were known as one of, if not the nicest driver in the sport. You know, obviously, you know, they, there's that saying, "Nice guys finish last." That is not the case with you because you you just come out and, and kill it on the track. Um, you know, it's what you've done with, with St. Jude. It's what you, you do with the RC community, how, how you treat everybody on and off the track, what you do with the fans. And and I'm going to go on record and tell everybody here, Bari, you know, during the pandemic helped my family so much. You know, your your wife is, is a nurse that was actively, you know, involved in, in, in COVID and, and, you know, treating COVID patients. You lived, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes away from my house. And Bari during the pandemic, you know, would bring chocolate milk and some other things <laughs> to my house for my kids, um, and, you know, 
besides the fact just like helping me through the pandemic, we drive down the road two hours once a week. And, you know, I'd always just pour my heart out to you. You listened, yeah. you helped me. And then the next week you knew when you came up to the Jordan household, you were going to get it again. <laughs> and you still every single time, man, just said, you know, what's going on, man? What can I help you with? And and just so you're, you're just an incredible friend and just one of the nicest guys in the sport. How do you feel about having that moniker? Because everybody says that. I mean, I, I feel good. You know, it makes me feel good to know that I, I have that reputation amongst my peers, you know, and that's just me being me. I just like to have a good time. I, I don't really, um, per se, want anybody to have a bad time. Of course, we are comp- competitors on the track, but off the track, I mean, we're just one big family and we try to support each other. And I'm still a fan of the sport. So if I see something cool, of course. I'm going to uh, be the first one cheering the people on to say, you know, do a, you did a great job, you know, because I love the sport. I mean, I've dedicated my life to it. And that's not that's just not only on the track, but off the track, too. So uh, if I can help somebody any way, shape or form, you know, I'll be the first one to give somebody the shirt off my back to just be able to know somebody's having a good experience when they're around me. You know, that's what I take home, because at the end of the day. You know, you you got to be able to be happy, I feel like. And uh, I've been happy my whole career. You know, I've been doing this 11 years, and there's not too many people that get the opportunity to live out a childhood dream as their career and do it on such a high level and do things that never even would have come to mind. I mean, so I'm just generally just an upbeat, positive person because I'm doing what I love, you know, and... and, um, I get joy out of seeing people happy doing what I love as well. How how proud are you of of you are are your how proud of your wife are you? You know she was one of the frontline workers during the entire pandemic, man. And you know just helped out so many yeah. people. I know you always talk to me about you know, the things that she was doing. So talk a little bit about that. It's amazing. I mean, I always tell her I'm I could not do what you do. I couldn't. Uh, that's one of those things where I'm like, nope. I, I probably couldn't be a nurse, a doctor, or a dentist, any of that stuff. So it just goes to show that it takes a, a, a special person to be that nurturing to people. I mean, you're talking about something that we all were struggling to deal with. I mean, the pandemic was something new to our generation, and you know, we had never seen anything like this, and we didn't know how we were going to deal with it. But somehow, you know, we pressed through, and um, certainly. I gave her her kudos because it, it it was definitely not an easy time, but we pushed through it. And um, I'm thankful for Monster Jam because that time we were we were building our, our house that we're in now, and they kept me busy, and we were able to you know secure the home during a pandemic, which was just one of those things where it's like my gosh, you know, who who would have thought that we would have had to deal with that trial and tribulation, but. You know, it just makes you stronger. It makes you more educated coming through it. And uh, hopefully you can just take what you've learned from time in my life like that and, 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 and educate people, inspire people. One more question from me. We'll get to a couple quick fan questions. So you've won Rookie of the Year, the showdown. You've competed at nine world finals. You have two Guinness World Records. But do you feel that you need a world finals championship to cement your legacy and accomplish all your goals? Or do you feel like you've already done that and surpassed that? Uh, I don't necessarily feel like I need it. Of course, it would be amazing to achieve that goal. And I would definitely welcome it. But I feel like there's so many more ways that you can impact your fan base and and people that have been to Monster Jam for the first time. You know, I love it when people come up to me at the pit party and say, this is our first time. And I'm like, oh, you guys are going to have the time of your life here uh, for the next several hours. So I wouldn't say that it's uh, something that I really dwell on, that I think about. Of course, when it's time to go out there and race for a world championship, I put my best foot forward every time, uh, but I don't want to force it. I want, you know, you can kind of tell when it's your night and, and you're, you're smooth and the truck just feels good and, and you, you can almost do no wrong. That's when uh, I really want to go out there and, and, and I know when it's just your night and just driving with that amount of confidence it's tough because there are a lot of competitors out here nowadays that are just amazing drivers 
And it's tough to be able to compete on that high level consistently, um, especially on the biggest stage there is when it comes to Monster Jam. Um, so this question comes from Real Monster Hub on Instagram, who is a, a big time statistician, uh, has a lot of great stats. As of right now, your career stadium freestyle win stands at 12 victories, 10 of them coming in the last two years in the judges own error, uh, era. Uh, you've split some time between stadium and arena tracks. Do you feel your time in smaller venues has helped shape your freestyle approach on bigger floors? Uh, yes and no. Uh, it really just boils down to, from an arena standpoint, Knowing the boundaries of the truck and the track. That's where I tell people, that's where you learn how to drive these trucks the best. And if you've noticed how talented the drivers are coming out of the arena tour, and they can go straight to a stadium and, and excel because uh, there's so much more room to play. So I would say it has a, a bearing, but not so much. I really, you just have to figure out your niche on the stadium track and not you got not get yourself into trouble um, right off the bat when it comes to you know the first 30 seconds you really just need to get through it and there's a true testament to the driver athletes that can drive on that ragged edge for two minutes you know the Ryan Andersons the Tylers the Tom Mences I mean just to be able to go out there and 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 drive knowing that you're confident enough that if you get in a crazy situation with the truck that you can save it and still continue on in your run. So momentum plays a huge part of, of that. And getting in a rhythm, it just builds confidence for me anyway. When I'm freestyling and I know, okay, I've, I've hit that jump hard. I've seen the person who hit who hit the jump before me do it. So I know I can hit it just a little bit harder. And, and so sometimes, though, you have to be out there first. And you, you are the guinea pig. So... I just like to set the bar high no matter where I go in freestyle. I really just try to fill my time, be consistent. I'm one of those clean freestylers, though. I'm not really like a carnage guy, ragged edge. I like to hit my marks. Um, Sometimes that works good. Sometimes it is good to be that carnage freestyler where you just roll the dice and you get lucky and it works out in your favor. Well, I think it's working great for you. I can't wait to see what you do next year. You can catch Bari on Stadium Championship Series Blue. Get your tickets now at MonsterJam.com. You can download this podcast each and every week on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can watch us on YouTube and at MonsterJam.com. Bari Musawar, thank you so much for joining us here today on Inside Monster Jam. I will see you in a couple weeks at the Driver's Summit, my friend. Take care. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it, man, as always. Till next time, guys. I'll see you when I take you inside Monster Jam.